Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. You're listening to Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry. 26. She slept in Tandry's room, waking intermittently to attend to necessities. Although Viv insisted on taking a blanket and lying on the floor, she was used to it anyway. Her awareness of Tandry's comings and goings was hazy at best. On what she thought might have been the third day, a knock came at the door. Viv heard Tandry moving to open it, a quiet exchange of words, and then someone entered. She heard them pad across the floorboards. Hmm. Viv opened her eyes and half turned over. Cal stared down at her with his arms crossed, and she felt suddenly foolish and angry, lying there and exposing her weakness to him. In years past, she would have cursed herself as a fool for giving a foe such an advantage. Such carelessness would have killed her a hundred times over. But Cal was not her enemy. The hob drew up the chair and sat, his legs too short for his feet to reach the floor. He clasped his hands between his knees, looking away and giving her a moment to push into a sitting position. Cal, she rasped and nodded. She didn't feel as though she'd slept at all. First thing to get a handle on is clean up, he said without preamble. Then materials, then labor. Need more than me and you this time. What are you talking about, she asked, and there was an edge of irritation in her voice. Rebuilding, of course. Ash is cool, we'll get it shifted. Maybe eight, ten trips to the midden. Hired hand or two will speed it up fine. Rebuilding? Viv stared up at him. Cal, I don't have the coin for that. And even if I did, I don't think it'd matter. Hmm, Tandry told me. The stone? He shrugged. Maybe worse odds now, but didn't figure you were one to duck at a soft blow like that. Viv flicked a glance at Tandry, who stared back with a level expression. Still doesn't change things, she said. Her battered strongbox sat to the side, where they must have placed it while she slept. She reached over with one huge hand and dragged it closer. Viv took the key from around her neck and unlocked it, flipping back the lid. Maybe seven sovereigns, a handful of silver, and a scattering of copper bits lay within. The platinum was long gone. I saved for years, she said grimly. Bounties, blood work, most of it's gone now. She glared balefully. As gone as the shop and everything else, there's almost nothing left. Less than what I started with by leagues. She looked at Tandry, who winced at her tone of voice. What did you call it? Arcane reciprocity? Well, here it is. This is the backlash. She felt her teeth bared, her fangs huge in her jaw, her burnt and barely healing skin tight over her skull, her brain throbbing. A part of her understood that she was hurting them, wounding these people who were friends, that some older, crueler self was emerging, crawling from the wreckage of who she thought she had become. That newly ruined part of her cried out for her to stop, to let it be for now. But the crueler self was ascendant, its opponent too weakened and diminished to intervene. It's fucking gone, she snarled. I spent my chance and I can't earn it back. She held Tandry's gaze and deliberately said, 
This is the part where I do what desperate people do. This is the part where I flee. Tandry jerked as if struck. Savage satisfaction burned through Viv, followed by a wave of nausea. Give it time, said Cal in his gritty, patient voice. What fucking difference would that make? She roared. And the next moment, Viv slumped, staring down at her hands, limp in her lap. You should go, she whispered hoarsely. She heard him quietly rise and leave. For a while, she thought Tandry had left too. But then Viv felt her draw near, crouch in front of her, and stroke her burned cheek. Tandry's forehead touched hers, an echo of days ago. Do you remember what you said in the street after the fire? She murmured, her breath light on Viv's nose and lips. No, she lied. You said, at least we didn't lose everything. Tandry paused. And I said you risked too much for the things you saved, she continued. Another longer pause, her breathing slow and sweet. But I knew what you really meant. Viv didn't notice her own tears until Tandry's lips brushed her damp cheek. She opened her eyes and stared into Tandry's, so close to her own. The woman held her gaze steadily, face composed, but eyes wet. Viv felt a warm weight in her center, and for a moment, they were enclosed again in that bubble of calm rightness they'd once shared. Then, the savage, older Viv clawed her way to the fore, whispering, It's what she is. You felt this before. She keeps it hooded like a lantern until she needs it, and then she lets it loose, and you fall under her spell. But even as that bleak thought spread through her mind like the spectral flame, it evaporated just as swiftly in the light of dawn. Tandry's warm, pulsing aura, the one that had touched her a few fleeting times, was absent. There was no arcana, no force, no trick, no magic to it at all. There never had been, not even once. She saw in Tandry's face, composed though it was, that she was awaiting some judgment, preparing herself for it, to be struck, ignored, or accepted, and terrified of all three. Viv's hand rose and carefully tucked Tandry's singed hair behind one ear. With a sharply drawn breath, she tipped her head forward and brushed her lips against Tandry's, light as a whisper. Then she wrapped her arms around her and tried not to squeeze too hard. Tandry squeezed back. Cal was wrong. It took 13 trips to the midden to clear away the debris. Viv didn't know where he'd rented the cart and pony from and was too ashamed to ask. It was the work of a week to shovel and hoist the ashes and cracked tile and stone into the back of the wagon. The oven was a mangled wreck of slag that flaked apart when she tried to drag it from the debris. Cal kept aside a few stones and bricks that might prove useful, stacked to one cleared end of the lot. Mopping her brow with a forearm, Viv looked down at him. I still don't see how I'll afford the stone and lumber for this, much less the labor. Is there really any point in clearing it all away? The acid was gone from her voice, replaced by a stoic flatness. He cocked back his hat and tugged at one of his long ears. Hmm. What did you say to me at the docks? 
You do it even when some might say it's wiser not to, I think. Well, guess I'll just say maybe be unwise a little longer. Viv couldn't think of a response to that, so she got back to hauling and lost herself in the demanding physicality of the work. She was taken aback when Pendry showed up on the second day with no loot in evidence. With a nervous little nod, he pitched in to help. Viv had to admit his big, rough hands looked perfectly natural hauling stone. When she began to offer to pay him, he stopped her. No, he said, and shook his head. And that was all. Tendry intermittently appeared and disappeared with water or bread and cheese, and Viv tried not to stare after her too hard or to think over much about that single, stolen kiss. Cal arrived with a cartload of bricks and river stone. Where's this from? asked Viv, squinting at him as he climbed down from the buckboard. Well, those'uns come from the quarry, and those'uns from the river. Gonna have to leave you two to unload them. Ain't tall enough for this. Viv and Pendry shifted the stone into piles on the lot. Cal stacked a few of the bricks and planks to form a makeshift table and bent over a roll of paper with a stylus and a ruling stick. Tandry huddled over it with him. As Viv approached them, breathing hard, Cal looked up. Figured if we're going to all the work, best build it back better, hmm? Two ovens shouldn't be a problem with a bigger kitchen, I figure. So, take a look. Viv stared down at his neatly drafted plans. That kid needs a dipper of water said Tandry, holding a hand over her eyes as she looked across the lot at Pendry. I'll be back. When she was gone, Viv looked back at Cal and pointed at the paper. Is this the loft? Tis. There's something else I want to change, she said, and then hesitated. If, if you're willing. I'm waiting. So she told him. When Cal showed up again with lumber and sacks of nails, Viv forced him to take most of her remaining funds. He didn't protest, but she wondered how he'd been paying for any of it. At some point, she simply allowed herself not to worry about it, which was both unnerving and freeing. As construction commenced, Thimble made a habit of joining them at noon, bearing sacks of food, warm meat turnovers in flaky pastry, good hearty loaves of bread, and once his cinnamon rolls. Everyone stopped their labors and companionably ate those, seated on the growing lower wall of brick. Laney sometimes tottered across the street to offer advice. She'd tut over the fire and usually managed to abscond with a roll. It turned out that Pendry was quite the stonemason, though nobody but Viv seemed particularly surprised. Oh, sure, he said, cheeks red and rubbing the back of his head. It's the family business. They were sheathing the half wall of brick in Riverstone when Hemington picked his way onto the lot, having traded his books for a satchel of tools. Good afternoon, he said, seeming a little embarrassed. Hem, said Viv, surprised to see him. I thought, well, I thought you might appreciate a little ward work in the foundation, he chuckled awkwardly. Some warded inscriptions to proof against fire might not go amiss, perhaps. I didn't know it was possible. If I said no, I think everyone here would curse me for an idiot, replied Viv. That's true, we would, said Tandry, rising from where she'd been mixing mortar. She smiled at Hemington and raised a brow at Viv. Her cheeks were streaked with gray and she wore a rough work shirt rather than her customary sweater. 
Viv thought she looked pretty radiant. Well then, said Hemington, I'll just get to it, shall I? He withdrew a collection of instruments from his satchel and went to the four corners of the foundation, then the midpoints of each outer wall, where he busied himself etching and inscribing and doing whatever it was he did. Viv figured she could probably ask Tandry for details later. She reflected that if the Scalvert Stone had drawn something to this place, it might still be there. 27. They had the building framed in another week. Partway through, a cart filled with clay tiles drew up to the shop under construction. Viv looked at Cal, who shrugged. She walked over, nodding to the driver. What's this? He was a big man, scraggly beard, beefy. The fellow beside him was well-muscled and lean. She had a feeling she'd seen them somewhere before, but couldn't immediately place them. Delivery, the driver said, helpfully. Yeah, but who from? Can't say, he said, with no particular animosity. And no payment expected. The man shook his head and climbed down with his partner. They set to piling the tiles in stacks in front of the lot. And then she remembered. She'd seen them in lax gaggle of hoods all those weeks ago. She allowed herself a surprised grin, thinking of fine gray dresses. Then, shaking her head, she got back to work. Covering the roof was rough labor, but Cal rigged a pulley system and Viv doggedly hauled up buckets of tile. It took a week before it was all fully laid, and then they began work on the walls with some relief. Tendry still showed up every other day or so, and Tendry was a fine hand with a mallet and nails. Other help came and went, and Viv was never really sure from what quarter. Whether Cal hired them or the Madrigals sent them, or they just happened to wander by and lend a hand, she stopped trying to guess. Viv could see the skeleton of the shop fleshing itself in wood and stone, now with a proper staircase to the loft, the pantry relocated, and framing for more windows along the front. Pendry bricked up a proper double chimney along the east wall where space awaited the stoves. He lined the new underground cold box as well. Thimble arrived daily with one warm delicacy or another, and Viv caught him eyeing the more generous kitchen footprint more than once. Even Amity appeared from time to time. To the relief of everyone, she seemed none the worse for wear, although her perpetually sooty fur made it hard to tell. Like a great gray ghost, she weaved her way between bare studs, gazing around in a proprietary way before disappearing once more. It was three more weeks before the walls were finished and plastered and whitewashed, the stairs and railing completed, the counter, booths, and table rebuilt. Summer was waning, and the teeth of autumn gnawed at them, morning and evening. The lumber and materials kept manifesting, and Viv told herself when it was done, she'd ferret out the source from Cal and pay her benefactors back just as soon as she could afford it. She kept sleeping on Tandry's floor, albeit with a bedroll and pillow. Viv felt guilty for staying, yet simultaneously reluctant to leave. She made a few tentative attempts to move to an inn or to rent a room with her meager remaining funds, but each time Tanry told her she was being foolish, and Viv didn't have much interest in arguing. Viv stood with Tandry and Cal in the waning light of another hard day's work, staring up at the face of the shop and the dark sockets of its glassless windows. 
As she was debating whether to temporarily tack cloth over them, she sensed someone approach. When she looked down, Durius, the elderly, chess-playing gnome, greeted them with a nod. She wasn't surprised when Amity padded up behind him and loomed like a sentinel, half again his height. Glad to see you've decided to stay, he smiled up at her. It would have been a shame to be robbed of such a fine cup of coffee. No thanks to me, said Viv. She nudged Tandry gently with one arm, and she thought the woman might have leaned into it just a little. It's these two who made sure of it. She indicated both of her friends. Tandry continued to stare at the shop thoughtfully. Maybe the stone never did anything, she murmured. Hmm, concurred Cal. Stone, asked Durius, his bushy white eyebrows high on his forehead. Viv didn't suppose there was any reason to be evasive. A scalvert stone. I feel like a twice-blasted fool about it, but I once heard- Ah, yes, interrupted the old gnome with a nod. I'm very familiar. There's a reason there are so few these days, scalverts. Unfortunate. Nearly hunted to extinction, they were. Really? That got Viv's undivided attention. Been many a year, but too many old legends and songs mythologized them. The ring of fortune and that foolishness. He shook his head sadly. Like lodestones for luck or wealth, or so many believed. And they aren't, asked Tandry. Well, replied the gnome, tugging at his mustache. Not the way folk hoped. So it was for nothing then? Viv shook her head bitterly. Hells, all he'd managed was to get the place burned down. If I'd never kept it there, Fennis would have left well enough alone. We could have avoided all this. Darius tipped his head and pinched his face in a speculative way. I wouldn't be so sure of that. But you just said, I said not the way folk hoped. Didn't say it didn't work at all. What did it do then? Asked Cal. That old song was a bit misleading. The stones never granted fortune, but they were gathering points, you might say. You'd find few who know it these days, but the ring of fortune is an old seafay phrase. It means a destined cadre, I suppose. Individuals brought together like to like, which can be fortunate, of course. Sometimes nothing's more fortunate than that. But that wasn't what most were seeking. Although, maybe they should have been, eh? Viv murmured, draws the ring of fortune, aspect of heart's desire. His speculative look sharpened. Yes, well, it seems to have worked out well here, I think. Viv looked from Tandry to Cal and back at the shop. Getting late, said Durius. He doffed his little sack cap. Must be getting on with the cold setting in. My old bones complain if I'm not at a fire by dusk. I don't think it's too early for congratulations, though. Or maybe it is. I do tend to get a little muddled over timing. Congratulations on rebuilding? That too, that too. No, I was referring to... Well, never mind. Sometimes I'm not sure which go-round this is. Could be I'm polishing the stone before the cut. A good night to you all. He turned and disappeared down the street, and after a moment, the big dire cat slunk after him like a too large shadow. A few days later, after the doors and windows had been fitted, two enormous crates arrived on a large wagon, and with them some unexpected visitors. Rune and Galena sat side by side on the buckboard. Are those what I think they are? asked Viv. Gnomish print rimmed the edges, 
and they certainly looked the right size to contain two new ovens. Depends, I guess, said Rune, easing downward and dropping the last foot to the cobbles. Viv went to give Galena a hand, but the gnome flashed her a sharp look and leapt to the street with great grace. It was your girl behind it, said Galena, glancing toward Tandry, who emerged from the shop, still too far away to hear their conversation. My girl, Viv echoed in a low voice. Galena shrugged and looked smug. You brought them, said Tandry. When she saw Viv's face, she faltered a little, her step suddenly uncertain. Did you order these? Tandry, how in the eight hells did you get enough? Little donation from us both, interrupted Rune, nodding at Galena. He patted the flank of one of the pair of horses. Tandry sent a letter. Let us know what happened, said Galena. Viv looked at Tandry, thinking of the stone. Everything? Tandry took a breath and firmly said, everything. So you both know about the Scalvert stone, she asked her old comrades. Who gives a shit? Galena waved a hand like it was irrelevant. Viv supposed it was. Fennis, Rune snarled with sudden savagery. Have you seen him then, asked Viv. Not in weeks, replied Galena. Didn't part on the best of terms. Man's always been a bit of a prick, but this? The gnome shook her head angrily. Can't abide a welcher, supplied Rune. Anyhow, help me wrestle these down, eh? Viv and Rune unloaded both crates and left them for Cal to unbox in the morning. Rune left to stable the wagon. Viv couldn't help but be amused, given that they stood in front of an old livery. So, said Galena. The three of them leaned against the crates while Viv caught her breath. The little gnome withdrew a dagger from one of the myriad places she stowed them and toyed with it idly. Fennis, I know you didn't want to dirty your hands before, and I admit that seems to have worked out fine. Sort of. Apart from this shit, but she leaned around Viv and waggled her blade at Tandry. I know you're all non-violent, but you can't tell me it wouldn't be a good idea to take just a finger or three, can you? Tandry snorted and made a show of stretching her back. Don't ask me. I'm too sore to be objective. Viv stroked her chin. You know, if that old man was right, we might not have to. Old man, Galena frowned at them. This grandfatherly gnome, you know the type, very mysterious. He said the stone doesn't work the way I thought it did. What did he say about it? It draws like to like, recited Tandry. Yeah, well, maybe the same happens for Fennis if he keeps it. More than one Fennis in one place? Galena made a face. Viv shrugged. Maybe it's more like caging a bunch of starving wolves together. Sooner or later, one of them is going to eat the weakest. And maybe they all kill each other in the end. Can't say I'm not disappointed we won't get those fingers, though, said Galena. I'll see if I can make it up to you when we reopen. Maybe one of them rolls, the gnome mused aloud. Viv wrapped a knuckle on the lid of a crate. Galena, I think I can get you a whole sack full. 28. Autumn deepened and reopening day approached, although the final two weeks crawled by. The days brimmed with minor tasks that took longer than seemed possible. Refitting lanterns, hanging a replacement chandelier, staining and lacquering the table and countertops, installing the ovens, and mounting a pair of new auto-circulators. Viv also made a few special orders with a loan from Galena. 
She extracted a half-joking promise that the gnome would menace her with knives if she wasn't repaid in two months. Viv felt she'd exceeded the bounds of friendship in every possible direction with everyone she knew at this point, although she had a few ideas on how to rectify that. When Thimble beheld the new pair of ovens, the expanded pantry and cold box, and the more generous back counter space, he was overcome. He scurried from one end of the kitchen to the other, inspecting all the new cookware that Tandry had assembled, peering into the oven doors, and running his hands lovingly over the stovetops. He stood before Viv, hands clasped in front of him, and gave her a little ducking bow. It's perfect, he whispered, and his oil drop eyes brimmed. She hunkered down before him. I told you, the best deserve the best. He threw his arms around her upper arm and gave it a brief, startling hug, and then disappeared into the pantry. Viv found her throat unaccountably thick. The morning before the reopening, Tandry was already gone from her room when Viv awoke, which was unusual. Her heart twisted, but her concerns eased when she saw the note that Tandry had left on the vanity. Errands to run. We'll see you at the shop later. Honestly, it couldn't have worked out better since Viv wanted to take delivery of a few shipments without the others around. When she unlocked the door to Legends and Lattes, it was empty and quiet, the smell of wood stain and lacquer still strong. The autumn chill had deepened, so she started a fire in one of the stoves and idly watched the auto circulators begin their slow revolutions. The old coffee machine gleamed on the countertop only marred by a few scratches and dings from its unceremonious rescue months before. She ascended the staircase, running her hand along the rail. She paced through the new rooms, still chilly, but she could feel the heat beginning to creep through the floor from the kitchen below. A new set of windows let the morning light pool at a slant in the western corners. Cal had really outdone himself. There was a knock on the shop door, and she descended to find two younger dwarves, still with shortish beards, stamping their feet and rubbing their hands in the brisk air. Delivery? The taller of them pulled a folded sheet from a cloak pocket. An assembly. Been waiting for it, said Viv. I'll get the other doors. She opened the big bay doors to the dining area and helped unload and move the cargo up the narrow staircase, with only a little cursing and grunting amongst them. Unbundling their tools, the dwarves briskly and efficiently assembled what they brought. Viv signed the delivery receipt and bid them stay warm. She spent another hour upstairs, fussing and fidgeting, before deciding she'd break something if she didn't stop. On the ground floor, Viv clipped a barrier rope across the base of the staircase. Then she pulled a fresh sack of beans from the pantry and one of the new ceramic mugs. She lost herself in the meditative act of priming the machine and grinding and brewing. The hiss of steam and the smell of fresh coffee permeated the shop, and with the warmth of the stove and the frost rhyming the edges of the front windows, something clenched and watchful inside Viv released for the first time since the fire. She leaned on the counter over a fresh chapbook, sipped her coffee, gazed at the blurs passing in the street, and gloried in a suspended moment of contentment. The spell was broken when the front door banged open, letting in a curl of icy wind and revealing Cal standing on the threshold. He was bundled in a long coat and gloves. Behind him, Viv could see the first flakes of an early snow drifting down. 
Hmm, you're here. Good. He stepped back outside before Viv could reply. I've got my end, he said to someone in the street, and when he reappeared, he and Tandry had either side of something large and awkward and wrapped up in paper and twine. They leaned it against the counter and stood back. Tandry's face was flushed with the cold, and she hurriedly closed the door behind them. Over next to the stove, you two. Looks like winter's setting in early. Viv came around the counter and stared at the big parcel, hands on hips. What's all this then? Well, said Tandry, rubbing her hands briskly. Something you can't open the shop without. She smiled at Viv, but the smile was a little anxious. You should, you should probably open it now. Cal nodded too, stripping off his gloves and tucking them into a pocket. Viv knelt and, after fumbling with knotted twine for a few seconds, cut the ties with her pocket knife. Rough brown paper shucked away from what lay beneath. It was the shop sign. I thought it burned in the fire, she whispered. Saved it, said Cal. Or most of it, I suppose. Hang on, is this? Diagonally, where the embossed silhouette of a sword had once been, a metal one was mounted. Steel. There was a unique mother-of-pearl sheen to it that she recognized. It is, said Tandry, moving to stand behind her. She had her arms crossed tensely in front of her. I took it after you. Well, I thought that maybe you didn't have to be fully rid of it. Not yet. Then, in a rush, I was just thinking that you don't have to forget who you were, because that's what brought you here. Viv ran a finger over Blackblood's new incarnation, cut down to an icon of her former self. Then, she just stared at it. Do you like it? asked Tandry. If you don't, we can unmount- It's perfect, said Viv. I can't believe you saved her. She rose and embraced them both, blinking back tears as she did. On reopening day, the snow persisted, icing Thune from steeple to cobble. Gray skies bloomed with pink, which limbed the clouds to the east, promising more pre-winter flakes. The refurbished sign hung proudly from the swing arm above the door, snow frosting its nooks and crannies. Viv and Tandry arrived first to feed the stoves and fill the new water tubs. Lighting the lanterns and candles filled the shop with a welcoming glow. By the time Thimble slipped in the door, the dairymen had delivered their cream and butter and eggs. The ratkin set to mixing and kneading, forming bowls of dough to rise before assembling ingredients for his icings, humming to himself all the while. Cal showed up, kicking snow from his boots and blowing from the cold, and Tandry brewed him a fresh cup. He took it to the big new table and curled his fingers gratefully around the warm mug while they speculated on the size of the opening crowd and jokingly wagered over how quickly the rolls would sell out. Surveying the kitchen for anything out of place, Viv caught sight of the rail they'd built along the back wall. Oh, hells, I almost forgot. She disappeared into the pantry and returned with a big square of slate, which she slid onto the counter and presented Tandry with a new set of colored chalk. After a moment's thought, Tandry set to work. Viv and Cal crowded close to watch, until she gave them both a side eye, and they quickly found other tasks with which to busy themselves. Tandry straightened and stood back to examine her handiwork. Help me get it on the wall, she said. 
Viv lifted it into place. Legends and Lattes, re-established November 1386. Grand reopening. Menu. Coffee. Exotic aroma and rich, full-bodied roast. One half bit. Latte. A sophisticated and creamy variation. One bit. Any drink, iced. A refined twist. Add one half bit. Cinnamon roll. Heavenly frosted cinnamon pastry. Four bits. Thimblets. Crunchy nut and fruit delicacies. Two bits. Midnight crescents. Buttery fold over with a sinful center. Four bits. Inquire about traveling mugs. What flames could not consume never shall be extinguished. When they opened the doors, there was already a line down the street, despite the cold. They ushered everyone inside, letting the line curl back into the dining area, and the shop rapidly warmed. Cheerful conversation drowned out the hiss of the machine, and eager customers with red cheeks and coats undone offered congratulations as they gratefully took their hot drinks and shuffled to find seats. Early for you, isn't it? greeted Viv when Hemington stepped up to the counter. Yes, well, he replied, looking with real appreciation around the shop. It's all rather exciting, though, isn't it? I've missed this place, I don't mind saying. Not just your research, then. He sighed. Whatever phenomenon was happening here, it's past. The ley lines fluctuate as normal. I can't help but wonder if that fire had something to do with it. Did they ever find the arsonist? Afraid not, said Viv. A shame. Still, this is all so much more comfortable. Viv nodded. Iced coffee, then? He deliberated for a moment, and then, with some embarrassment, said, You know, given the weather, perhaps I'll have a hot one. She cocked an eyebrow at him. You, Hem. Hemington coughed. Ah, uh, and one of those rolls. She smiled and didn't give him any further trouble over it. Whew, cold out. Pendry pulled the door closed behind him. He wore half mittens, and he tucked his cloth-wrapped loot under an arm. A boxy black device dangled from his fingers by a strap. Let's get you something hot to drink, said Tandry already starting a latte. Yes, please. He stepped to the right and caught his first glimpse of the stage at the end of the dining area. A tall stool awaited him, and a dark curtain draped the wall behind it. Oh, wow, he breathed. For me? Don't trip on the way up, teased Viv. Before you get settled, though, I have to know, what's that? She gestured at the box he carried. Ah, oh, this... Well, it's, uh, uh, they call it an arcane amplifier. It, uh, it makes, makes things louder, finished Viv. Sometimes, he looked pained. Make sure the glass stays in the windows. That's all I ask. We just put this place back together. He nodded awkwardly, took his drink, and disappeared around the corner. At the first opportunity, Viv checked in on him. She smiled to see the kid flanked by stone he laid himself. Pendry warmed up with a catchy bit of finger-picking. The box sat a few feet away, and his music filled the room in a way that was present without intruding, enfolding rather than bludgeoning. When Pendry sang in his plaintive, sweet voice, she smiled and withdrew. She turned to find herself face to face with the madrigal, clad this time in a rich red winter cloak with a fur ruff. Viv was caught off guard for a moment, at a loss for words. Congratulations, said the madrigal, 
inclining her head slightly. I'm pleased to see the progress here. Your establishment is a real credit to the Redstone District. It would have been such a shame for it to disappear after such promising initial success. Viv recovered enough to stammer, uh, Thank you, ma'am. Thinking of all the deliveries and the unexpected laborers, she leaned closer. And I mean that truly. Thank you. The madrigal glanced significantly toward the coffee maker and the piles of pastries on tiered serving trays, and Viv sidled around the counter to begin brewing her a cup. Tandry turned, startled at the sight of the woman, and immediately began selecting rolls and thimblets. A shame the arsonist wasn't apprehended, said the madrigal. I do hope they don't return. Doubt they will, Viv pursed her lips as the madrigal seized her gaze. I figure they got what they came for. No reason to come back. The madrigal nodded as she took her drink and a bulging sack of baked goods and departed. She didn't offer to pay this time, which was an honest relief. When Durius made an appearance that afternoon, his cheeks pinked with the cold and snow in his neat white beard, he was without his chessboard. Well, he said, his hands tucked into his coat, just like I remembered. Pretty close, anyway, said Viv. We made a few improvements. He seemed startled. Oh, yes, I suppose that's true, looking at it from your end. Get you something to drink? Oh, my, yes, please. And one of those as well, he said, standing on tiptoe and pointing at the chocolate crescents. Have you seen the dire cat around? Viv asked as she made his drink. She comes and goes as she likes, replied the gnome. But I dare say you'll see her sometime soon. As Viv slid him his drink and pastry, Durius said, It'll work out just fine, you know. So far, Viv looked around the busy shop with a small smile. It seems to be. Oh, certainly the shop, said the gnome, but the rest of it too. The rest? Indeed. And he took his order, toddling off into the dining area. Tandry leaned around her and looked after him. Do you think he's cryptic on purpose? Viv shrugged, thinking about his one-sided chess game and about her arrangements upstairs. Couldn't say. Don't think I'd ever want to play Pharaoh with him, though. 29. At day's end, Viv gently ushered the last customer out the door and into the brittle cold. She locked up behind them and turned back to her friends spread throughout the shop. Thimble fussed with a rack of cooling baked goods, Tandry was wiping down the machine, and Cal examined the hinges on one of the big door jams. Viv simply watched the three of them for a moment, the soft, low bustle such a contrast to the cacophony of the day. The chimney pipes thrummed, and the icy wind sang under the eaves. She quietly unclipped the cord across the stairs and went up to collect a leather scroll case, which she brought to the counter. Tandry halted in the middle of scrubbing out a mug to look at her askance. Can I have the inkwell? asked Viv. Sure. Tandry dried her hands and retrieved one from under the counter. She gave the scroll case a speculative look. Viv cleared her throat, suddenly nervous. Can I get everyone up here for a minute? She called over loud. They gathered together, gazing at her curiously. She took a big breath. I'm not really good at speeches, so I won't try to make a good one, but I wanted to thank you, all of you. Her eyes suddenly stung. 
This, all this, this was a gift you gave to me. And I, she grimaced at Cal and then at Tandry. I didn't deserve it. The things I've done in my life, I don't have any right to this kind of good fortune. But more than this place, I don't deserve you. If there was any justice in the world, I'd never have met you, much less have even a scrap of your regard. And for a while, I thought maybe I'd cheated fate to have you near me, that I was bending the rules, forcing some impossible streak of luck, and any moment you'd find out who I really was, and then you'd be gone. She breathed out, slowly. But what a stupid thing to think, unfair to you. Did I think so little of you? Did I think you couldn't see who I was, really? Was I foolish enough to believe I could make you see something other than what was there? She looked down at her hands for a moment. So, I might not deserve you, and you might forgive too much, but I'm damned glad to have you. It was quiet, and she held each of their gazes in turn. The silence stretched, during which Viv became increasingly uncomfortable. Hmm, said Cal. As speeches go, wasn't too bad. Tandry snorted, and Viv's tension evaporated as though it had never been. Ah, uh, well, with that out of the way, Viv opened the scroll case and withdrew a roll of foolscap. These are writs of partnership, one for each of you. This shop isn't mine, it's yours, too. You built it, you made it work, and it'd be nothing without you. All you have to do is sign. Tandry picked up one of the sheets and quietly read it over. This is an equal partnership. When did you have this done? A week ago, said Viv, rubbing at the back of her neck. I mean, the ad I posted mentioned advancement opportunities, so... Ain't right for me to sign it, said Cowell. Of course it is, said Viv in surprise. What in the hells do you mean? Don't work here, he continued. Just don't make sense. Ain't fair to the rest. Cowell, said Viv, sliding a sheet across to him. When I say that you all built this place, in your case, you literally did. There's nobody who deserves it more. Sign it, said Tandry. And if you want to be persnickety about it, I know who to bother when things break. Or when Thimble decides this kitchen is too small too, added Viv. Thimble squeaked supportively. And with much grumbling on Cal's part and much chivying from the rest, eventually he made his mark. One last thing, said Viv and from the pantry she retrieved a small brandy bottle and four fine glasses. She set them in a line and poured a careful measure from the bottle into each. A toast to all of you. To what the flames could not consume, murmured Tandry, and they all nodded solemnly. They drank, and Thimble coughed and had to be patted on the back several times. Then they quietly gathered their things to leave. Tandry, said Viv, quietly. Stay a minute. Cal gave them a glance, then nodded to himself and left behind Thimble. The two of them stood together in the warm center of the shop, with winter stealing in around it, the brandy glowing like coals inside them. There's something I wanted to show you, said Viv, almost too low to hear. Then she quickly turned and went to the stairs, beckoning for Tanry to follow. At the top of the stairs, a hallway split the upper story with a door to the left and one to the right. Viv strode to the one on the left 
and opened it, stepping inside. Tandry peered in after her and gasped. You bought a bed? I did, said Viv. The room was also furnished with a small dresser and table and a wardrobe. Even a rug, said Tandry, nodding appreciatively. Well, it's bound to be an improvement over my floor. Viv closed her eyes and took a slow breath. There's one other thing I want to show you, said Viv, with a cold flush of terror. Tandry gave her a wry smile. You didn't make room for the cat, did you? She asked, which did nothing to quell Viv's nerves. Quite the opposite, in fact. Viv didn't trust herself to reply, so she went to the door across the hall and opened it as well. Tandry's brow creased as she stepped inside. This room, too, was furnished with a bed, a vanity, and a wardrobe. A set of art supplies, ink and chalk and stencils and parchment, sat atop the vanity. Tandry drifted to the center of the room, where she stood very still. In the silence that followed, Viv couldn't breathe. Who is this room for, Viv? She asked, quietly. Her tail made a cautious, flickering S behind her. For you, if you'll have it. And there was a pulse of that warmth, that hooded self which only shone forth when Tandry was at her most unguarded. She turned to look back at Viv. Tandry didn't answer, instead closing the distance between them. Wrapping her arms around Viv, cheek to chest, she released all of her restraint. For the first time, Viv faced the totality of Tandry's essential self and was struck by the eloquence and delicacy that was revealed. It was easy to see how one might mistake her nature for something purely sensual, how one might glean only what they most desired from that densely twined rush of feeling. Hers was a potent dialect of emotion, rich with meaning, comprehensible only to those intimately aware of its subtleties. Tandry didn't have to say yes. The language was understood. And when her lips found Viv's, no doubt could have survived. Epilogue Fennis strode, cloaked through the webwork of Thune's southern alleys. Snow flicked in little curls from the slanting roofs above. He was extremely cold and extremely irritated. He'd stayed well clear of the city since the fire, a thomic construction of which he'd been quite proud. He was even a little relieved that Viv had survived unscathed. He hadn't explicitly wanted to cause her injury, or at least nothing too extreme. Rune, Tyvis, and Galena had been less than gracious about it, but he was sure that in time their misplaced outrage would fade. And if it didn't, he supposed that might not be such a tragedy, all things considered. Rumors of the shop reopening had drawn him back, along with the increasingly insistent doubts he'd been harboring since procuring the Skelvert's stone. Fennis simply had to investigate. The shop was indeed rebuilt, and it looked at least as successful as before, if not more so, which begged the question, had the stone any worth whatsoever? If it wasn't responsible for Viv's string of fortunate turns, then what could he expect of it? Had all of this really been for nothing? If Viv had been a fool to place her faith in it, then what did that make him? A twice-damned fool? It really was quite vexing. Set in a small medallion, Fennis kept it tucked beneath his tunic next to his skin. 
The silver of the setting was cold against his flesh. He rounded a corner, heading toward the docks, when the light at the other end darkened. Someone else had stepped into the narrow, twisting alley. His neck prickled as another presence fell in behind him. I'd heard you might be back in the city, said a voice he vaguely remembered. Turning, Finnis placed it. That lackey of the madrigals named Lack, amusingly enough. The enormous hat really was in poor taste. Fennis smiled thinly. Only briefly, I'd ask if I could help you purely out of politeness, but I'm afraid my schedule won't allow it. I'm also not feeling particularly polite at the moment. Oh, we don't need too much of your time, said Lack. But the madrigal was quite interested in that stone you were kind enough to mention. And I've heard tell it might have a new owner. That'd be you, wouldn't it, sir? Fennis's eyes narrowed. If you're all the madrigal sent, she's less perceptive than I gave her credit for. Faster than thought, he drew a slender white rapier from his side, luminous with thaumic glow and alive with a blue tracery of leaves. Black shrugged, unperturbed. There's a few more of us here and there, and maybe you could cut us all down. Not that I'd prefer that, of course, partial to my own throat, you see. Let me make an observation, though. You might not think the madrigal is perceptive, but I can assure you, sir, that she is persistent. Fennis raised the point of his sword, his arm steady as he angled it toward Lack's throat. He paused there for a moment, considering. Then he sighed and with a swift motion sprang toward the left-hand wall, catching it with one booted foot and springing toward the opposite side of the narrow alley, arcing higher and higher with each sideways leap until he caught an eave with one delicate hand and flipped up onto the roof. He shook out his cloak in annoyance, tossed back his hood and sheathed the blade, striding nimbly up the tiles to the peak. He heard a commotion in the streets below, the madrigal's men circling the building, watching for him to move to an adjoining rooftop or to descend. There was no easy way for them to pursue him, so Fennis took his time, gazing across the icy cityscape toward the docks and the mast of the ship he'd be catching within the hour. This was all a minor inconvenience at best. It really was pitiful. The whole business did nothing to improve his mood, however. Then he heard a heavy impact and a clatter of tile behind him, followed by a rising, throaty rumble like an oncoming avalanche. He whirled to face an enormous sooty creature, its fur bristling, its fangs huge, green eyes alive with liquid malice. He had only a final sliver of a second to think, incredulously, is that the god's damned cat? Amity leapt. Natalie Nottis here. This has been the final episode of Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry. Stick around for a special bonus conversation in which Travis and I discuss the audiobook and share a sneak peek of Travis's next book, Bookshops and Bone Dust. And don't forget to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to stay updated about new seasons. Thanks for listening. <laughs>